0: You can really accelerate by just contributing different aspects to the transaction and there's a whole lot of value in finding the deal and it doesn't take twenty thousand dollars to find every single deal
1: as a loyal best ever listener you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's tryrentle com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Matt Terrio, how you doing, Matt?
0: Very good, Joe. Good to be here.
1: Yeah, nice to have you back on the show, my friend, and best ever listeners, you recognize Matt's name and voice, probably because he's been on the show a couple times. The first time was episode way, 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 way back, 86, episode 86. I have no idea what episode number this is. I know it's in like the 1300s, so it's been about 1200 or so days since we last talked, at least initially. We've talked, I think, since then, too. Welcome back to the show, my friend.
0: Thanks, and congratulations on so many episodes.
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. A little bit about Matt, just as a refresher, he was a Marine, and he's a Desert Storm vet, so first off, thank you for your service. You bet. And he also enjoyed 15 years in the music industry prior to becoming an accomplished real estate investor. He's got a podcast, he's got a website you gotta check out, Epic Real Estate, if you haven't already, epicrealestate.com, that's also in the show notes link. And he's based in LA. Today, we're gonna be talking about how to create passive residual income that is a skill set that we're gonna be talking about today because it is Sunday and we're doing a special segment called skill set Sunday like what you normally do on Sunday so with that being said Matt how should we start our conversation
0: <laughs> yeah I get emails like that uh, how do you sell a house right yeah <laughs> how should we start the conversation well I guess maybe start why you would even want to create residual income
1: yeah. From your standpoint, I think wanting to create residual income, or for anyone's standpoint, that's most people's goals. But the challenge is most people have a certain amount of money to invest, and we've got to do it intelligently so that we maximize the return on time and on our time. So what's the approach you take us through?
0: Well, I think in any real estate investing strategy, regardless of what it is, whether it's like apartment buildings or mobile homes or storage facilities or single-family residence, I think every single strategy begins with finding the deal. Mm -hmm. You've got to find a deal preferably with equity already in place. Secondarily, one that's going to meet your own minimum deal standards that's going to get you to your goals the fastest. And if your goals are to create residual income, then you have to set some sort of barometer, I guess, on what type of deal is going to get you there the fastest. And then also just shifting the mindset, shifting that mindset of, from saving piles of cash to creating streams of cash Mm -hmm. is a big shift and it's easier to say and easier to think about and and come up with the idea that that's a good idea, but actually taking action on that on a daily basis can be really difficult. For example, in our office on a daily basis, we're faced with the decision, do we flip this property and put $30,000 in our pocket or do we hold on to it and put $300 a month in our pocket? And that's a really tough decision to make, particularly when you'd actually be staring at that pile of cash,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because most people would want to flip the property and take the 30 grand thinking that they're progressing and they're moving forward. And in all reality, when you start doing the math, you're actually taking a much longer path to get to your residual income goal because you'd probably have to flip probably 10 of those properties to put that money in the bank somewhere, earning a conservative four five, 6% in something very traditional to generate that $300 a month of passive income, or you can just hold on to that one deal and create $300 a month of passive income. So I think once you start getting that math and understanding the seemingly slow route and small cash route is actually the fastest route to get you to your residual income goal, I think that's a big barrier for a lot of people to overcome.
1: Is there a certain point where we should switch from the piles of cash to then creating a stream, or should... We go straight out of the gate, creating streams.
0: Yeah, I think with every deal you find, it should be your intent to hold it. That should be the intent. Now, it's not always going to be feasible or practical to do so, but I think you should look at every deal. How can I hold this? If you think back and you go 20 years ago and compare where your life would be today if one path you chose, I'm going to flip 20 properties 20 years ago, or I'm going to buy and hold 20 properties 20 years ago, where would you be today? Even if holding each one of those properties was an extreme struggle to do and you had to play all resources and all ingenuity and everything you could and even make sacrifices, where you'd be today would be just a significantly different place, a much better place.
1: And with that approach, the pros and cons with every approach, the con would be that you won't get, well, I'm about to correct myself, so let me just go with the initial thought and then we'll say how this could be a solution. But the con could be perceived that you'd go get the streams of cash slower because you're not selling the properties, but I imagine your answer is cash out refinance.
0: That or the streams of cash, one comes from work and one comes from management, right? Mm -hmm. So To create those big streams of cash faster, like that $30,000 flip, once you flip it, you got to go find the next deal. So you're constantly working. You've got a job, a high paying job, albeit, but it's still a job. You're never going to get to take your foot off the gas. So with residual income, it seems slow, like 300 bucks a month on that first deal. That's not going to make a significant impact on anyone's life, right? It's not going to change anyone's lifestyle too much. But if you want to get to $10,000 a month, you have to get the $300 one out of the way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you can put the next one to create the 600 to do the 900. And now once you've got four or five of these things under your belt, now it's all starting to really make sense.
1: <clears throat> I'm thinking about when I got started, my situation, it took me 2-3 years to save up $20,000. I bought a house and that got me 150-200 bucks a month in income. And if I would have, instead of buying more of a turnkey property, if I would have bought a value add deal and successfully increased the value of the property and then did a cash out refinance and held the property, then I could have gotten farther faster versus what I did initially. I just bought basically four turnkeys and it took me about first one a couple years and then one after that a year to save up money for each of the next ones. So I could have gone faster if I had done more value-add deals and did the cash-out refinances.
0: True. And choosing that path, going turnkey, and I actually buy turnkey properties myself these days just because I don't feel like doing all the work all the time. But going that route, you're paying a premium for someone else that has gone out and found the deal and found the equity and they've marked it up and given you something. They've given you this finished product. The way to do that a lot faster when you're talking about saving money, if that's the mentality of a lot of people, I think they have to make a lot of money, save a lot of money to start buying these properties. But if you go out and get your hands dirty and you get a little bit more involved and you're actually sourcing the deals yourself, you'll find that it's a difficult thing to do. And because it's a difficult thing to do, it holds a lot of value in the transaction. Meaning that you might feel that money is the hard part for you. Just recognize that for somebody else, that's the easy part for them. Finding the deal is the hard part for them where it could be the part that you focus on where that's what you bring the value to the table. So you can really accelerate by just contributing different aspects to the transaction. And there's a whole lot of value in finding the deal. And it doesn't take $20,000 to find every single deal.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: that's another approach to do it and really accelerate your progress in that fashion.
1: We're talking about creating passive residual income With your personal portfolio, how would you break out the categories by percentage for where your passive income is coming from? I just asked this question a little while ago. It was about 60%
0: of single family homes, 40% are notes on single family homes.
1: Got it. So no commercial stuff. How come no commercial?
0: I went down that road and I fell on my face miserably. So I came back to what I know. And now I am much smarter and experienced. So we're already getting ready to pull the trigger again on commercial, but I just got started with single family. I got good at it. And so that's why it's there.
1: And what have you done differently as you've started to now where you're rocking and rolling with the single families that you can share with us that will help us get better as if we are investing in single families?
0: Really, when it comes down to all passive income, and a lot of people confuse passive income with uninvolved income, and that's a big mistake. You still have to manage it, and I think the secret to cash flow, with regardless of what the asset class is, is the management of the asset. So, property management, you've got to do as much due diligence on your team, on your property manager, as you do on the properties themselves. So, that's where we've made a lot of mistakes, but we've been able to pull it all together to where now it works for us. So people will look at uh, diversifying their asset class. They'll look at diversifying their location. I recommend everybody diversify their teams as well. So in every market, this is what's really made it work for us is we've got at least two property managers in every market. We make sure that they know about each other, not in an evil mean spirited way, not in a, a gross, ugly competition way, but we do make them know that we're working with somebody else in their market. And what we've found is, It inadvertently just kind of forces performance to go up, forces expenses to go down, and we just get better service. That's probably the biggest thing that we've been able to put in place that has increased and stabilized the performance of our properties or our cash flow.
1: You mentioned diversification of asset class, teams, and locations. Clearly, you've got the diversification of teams that you just mentioned. It doesn't sound like you do with asset class, and then what about locations?
0: So the asset class, I've got notes and properties. So that's my diversification there. And we're looking to go back into commercial. So, or I've got single family and notes and we're back into commercial. So that's our diversification of the asset class, diversification of the geography. We're in 12 different markets across the United States. So we're probably most diversified in the location than anything
1: else. When you look at a market, what are some of the characteristics that you look for?
0: Good question. Yeah, we look at all the normal stuff that everyone else looks at. We look at what is a job space like? Is the industry just diversified Are the major employers diversified? What's government contributing? What's the migration look like and the population look like? We look for all that stuff that everyone else looks at. But what really determines whether we go into a market or not is the relationship with our team, the property mm-hmm. management. You can find the best market with all the market indicators that point up and give it a green light and you go in there with bad management and that's going to be a terrible experience for you so true you can go into a mediocre market with a great team and that can be a fantastic experience for you
1: what type of properties like can you give us an example of maybe the last deal that you bought what type of property is it from a single family home standpoint returns that sort of thing
0: we just picked up a single family in Birmingham, Alabama. I like that market. And we happen to have our best team there. But I also like the market because we've got it, over the years. We've had a good experience of cash flow and appreciation, which is kind of hard to find in the same market. But it's like a 13% cash on cash return with leverage in place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, a nice neighborhood. I would call it like a B minus B neighborhood. Good tenants, good management. It's been really easy. I think we've got a dozen in Birmingham now. I really like that market.
1: With taking a giant step back, our conversations around creating passive residual income, and we started out by talking about finding a deal that meets your goal. And then you said, instead of creating piles of cash, you create streams of cash. So from a best ever listener standpoint, what would be some practical steps coming out of this conversation that they can do to create that residual income? Practical
0: steps. I would say the first step is focus on finding the deal and recognizing that 95% of all real estate transactions that happen are conducted through people that want to sell. No one in their right mind is going to give you a deal on their real estate unless they need to sell. So you need to look for that 5% that needs to sell. There's some sort of distress in place. There's financial distress, there's personal distress, or the property itself is in distress. And just kind of go in with the mindset, understanding that people will exchange equity for peace of mind. So I think the first practical thing is to identify the type of problem that you want to solve for people. Mm -hmm. That somebody that just went through a divorce or somebody that just went through bankruptcy, someone that's in foreclosure, someone that has liens on their property, whether they're tax liens or weed abatement liens or code violations. So identifying the problem that you're going to solve and then promote the solution to that person of what they're looking for and come to them as being the white knight on the horse and they're going to give you equity in exchange for being that person. So I think just identifying who's the person you're going to help and deploy all resources in helping that person so you can get that deal under contract.
1: What's been a challenging problem that you or your team have solved for a person?
0: For a person?
1: Well, yeah, for a property owner. They had a really challenging problem.
0: One that comes up frequently is someone that inherited a property and they live on the other side of the country and they don't feel like flying out to see the property to try and hire a realtor and sell it and they just want the cash so that's something that comes up frequently and that's pretty easy to do another one is recently someone had a a job transfer and they had to get up and go and they had no time to go and sell their property through conventional channels And what we were able to do is put that property on the market for them and find an investor buyer for them. But in the meantime, while we were looking for them, we were able to pay for their moving expenses and storage of all their belongings that were in their property. So that was a way that cost us, I think, a thousand bucks for the three months that we were storing their personal property inside of, from the house. And then think we paid like another 2000 bucks for their first and last month's rent to move into their apartment, which got us so that we put in what 3000 bucks there. And that probably got us another $20,000 discount on the sale or the purchase of the property. Hmm. So those types of problems, people like just make this go away for me. And so I can get on with my life and they'll gladly sell to you at a discount.
1: On the commercial real estate front, what happened? The
0: first thing was I went in buying a 14 unit thinking that, hey, how difficult could this be? Just 14 houses underneath one roof. And just kind of did not understand the nuances of managing an apartment building. And when it seemed like that one was going good at the beginning, I went wide too fast. I went out and bought a 50-unit building, a 44-unit building, an 8, and a 12. All just because they kept coming to me, and they were so cheap, Mm-hmm. but I went way wide before I went deep and figured out how to make it work and it just caught up to me.
1: And what are some specific things that now that you're getting back into it, you're going to do differently from making it work?
0: Definitely do a lot more due diligence on the front end with regard to expenses and what the actual costs are to owning that property. Be prepared to pay double what the rehab budget is. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily mean I'm going to, but I need to be prepared for that. And third would be to really vet whoever's going to manage that building for me. Mm -hmm.
1: And when you really vet them, what will you be doing differently that you weren't doing before?
0: Giving them small tasks up front. One of the things we do for our property management now is we have a list of questions. I think we just Googled it, questions to ask a property manager. It's really the process of asking the questions, not the questions themselves Mm -hmm. that we're looking for. So, we'll ask four of the six questions that we've got over the phone just to kind of get a feel about the personality and the vibe. Because they're always going to tell you what you want to hear on that first call. So, you never know if you're getting the truth or not. But then we'll ask, we'll call back after hours and leave two more questions on their voicemail and wait to see what their response is. So, that's one of the small things that we do. We'll do a lot of things. Hey, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? type questions. With our single family, I don't know how this is going to be different or how we're going to pull something off equivalent with the multifamily. But with our single family, we just give them one property to start with, and then we just micromanage the hell out of them. And if they don't like it, then they're not going to be the person for us. But if they do good, then we start giving them more and more and more. And the more that they prove themselves, then the less we're breathing down their neck.
1: Mm -hmm. You've mentioned throughout our conversation, we and us. Who's on your team and how do you have it structured?
0: Good. I work with my wife, Mercedes, and she has a full-time assistant and transaction coordinator. I have one person for my marketing, Miguel, and I have one person for my systems and automation and managing the database is William. And then I've got a media team that provides Miguel with all the marketing materials.
1: Mm -hmm. The systems and database that William works on, what types of systems and databases or database do you use and find effective?
0: We found a system called REI Solutions. It's a CRM and marketing machine all underneath one little umbrella. We went out and we tried the Podio thing and it just kept on breaking on us. And we became more in the IT business than we were in the real estate business. So we just went to (laughs) something ultra simple. So REI Solutions is what we do. And it actually has the whole call rail engine inside of it. It's got the texting features. It's got landing pages. It's got websites. And then it's got project management. So that's just all works as one cohesive unit inside of that system.
1: Anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to building streams of residual income that you think we should?
0: Just make it your intent to hold everything. It doesn't mean you have to, Mm -hmm. but just make it your intent and understand your marketing efforts and your deal-finding efforts. It's not always going to produce stuff that you want to hold or that would be holdable, but there's still alternatives of where you can make money on that. So don't be afraid to flip a property or flip a contract. I think every business needs active income as well as while they're building their passive income. So just want to make sure that that's clear. It's your intent to hold everything, but a lot of times you're not going to. So might as well make some money off it anyway.
1: Yeah. And you sell then do 1031 exchange, assuming that the numbers work out.
0: Totally. There's an endless things you can do once you have the deal. That's why I place so much emphasis on finding a deal. Because once you've got the deal under contract, now you've got all kinds of options.
1: Well, Matt, thank you for being on the show. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or, or your team?
0: If they're listening to this podcast, then you can go to Epic Real Estate Investing is where my podcast is. And you gave out the domain name of the website, epicrealestate.com. And either one is a great way to get in touch with us.
1: So when we come across an opportunity to make 30 k or $300 a month or something similar to that choice, we're now going to pause and think about this conversation and think about creating streams of cash instead of piles of cash because eventually we have to get to the $300 if we're going to get to the 10000 or a million dollars a month, whatever our goal is. So we've got to start somewhere and there are ways to access that equity even when we have a hold. Or if we do sell, then 1031 or other way. So it's just a thought process that you're talking about. It should be our intent to hold it, and then we'll maximize the opportunity as we have the opportunity. And then also, I love that you went into the three updates to your approach on commercial investing, the due diligence on the front end, being prepared to pay double for the rehab is, and really vet the management team. I love the example of calling after hours and asking questions to see what they're responses from a time standpoint, but then also from a quality response standpoint. So thanks for sharing that. Thanks again for being on the show again. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. you looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests. Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T R Y R E N T L E R.com forward slash best ever. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at A R E iusa.com. dot com. That's A-R-E-I-U-S-A dot com.